We women are always taught to, to care for others and not put ourselves first. But it doesn't make sense in my eyes. You need to put yourself first because then you can take care of the others even better. From the sunny palms of Los Angeles, this is Bully Buster, the podcast where Rhonda Orr speaks with guests battling the bully culture. Listen to real stories and find real solutions using Rhonda's Triangle of Triumph, going from victim to survivor to leader. Rhonda is an award-winning executive trainer, columnist, and speaker. She's also served as the founder of two nonprofits addressing child abuse and bullying. Now, here's Rhonda. Welcome back to Bully Buster, my podcast. Today, I have such a treat for you. My guest is Sarah Wagner co-author of, I mean, the most brilliant book, Unleashed Today. I highly recommend it because I've read it. Sarah's a project manager based in Beijing, where she enhances relations between her home country of Germany and China. Sarah earned her LLM in international law in the Netherlands, and that's where she met her co-author, Kate Sorella. Sarah's an amazing powerhouse who served as the senior policy manager for the largest tech trade association in Brussels, Belgium. She also worked in Washington, D.C. as the head delegate of the G20 Summit for Young Professionals in Sydney, Australia. Her podcast, Here She Is, features diverse leaders and will inspire you. And although I'm not going to share her age, she is young. I am absolutely beyond elated to welcome Sarah, all the way from Beijing. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for the invitation. I'm really excited to be here. You empower young women with your podcast, Here I Am. And I think about how awe-inspiring it is and how much I admire what you do, that's something that I've been doing with both of my nonprofits in addition to my 30-year corporate career. In those two nonprofits dealing with child abuse and bullying, I always say, define yourself before others do and feel well enough about yourself to forget yourself and do the things that matter the most. And the things that matter the most are things like creating healthy relationships, and service. And I don't mean like raking grandma's leaves, <laughs> service in a way that you're caring, you're being considerate, and you're having courtesy. Bullies always want to define the young women in negative ways. And what do you say about the process of how to define yourself? Thanks so much for, for bringing that, that up. It's a very important topic, how to define yourself and having the courage to define yourself. And to be very frank, it's really one of the reasons why, why Kate and I decided to, to write this, this book in the first place. Because when we entered the workspace as young, ambitious women, we felt like people defined who we were supposed to be. There continue to be so many expectations as to how women should behave in the workplace, how they should look, how they should speak to others. And we really realized this prevents you 
from unleashing your potential because you can only be your very best if you are your authentic self. But the problem is, of course, that you need courage. You need courage to be different, right? Yes. If you don't fit into these pre-existing rules that someone defines for you, you might very easily hold yourself back and you don't dare to, to be yourself. And I give you an example that is still very prevalent in my head. And it's that in the very beginning, I was often called bossy and, and aggressive. <laughs> and I was always very confused about it because to me, it just meant I was very strong-willed. And really, it, I was at some point very unsure about how I should behave then. And at some point, I realized, you know what, I don't want others to mold me into pre-existing forms. I should just dare to be my authentic self, create my own image and not let others, not let others do that for me. In one of my civility leadership academies, where I have young women, I had a 13-year-old whose parents brought her to me. And they wanted private tutoring because they didn't want to talk to her about how bossy she was. And it was interesting because she is the one who discovered through storytelling that she was being a bully. And that's what her parents wanted me to tell her through storytelling. You can find a way to learn who you are to even be your authentic self, correct? How, how does someone do that? How do they learn how to storytell? I see you have, have read the book very well, Rhonda. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I love it. <laughs> it really takes confidence to be your authentic self, to be outspoken and rather than hiding your personality and your skills and your strengths, be really vocal about it and being vocal about what you have to, to offer, what your strengths are, what your values are, what you care about, who you care about. It's about controlling your own brand or narrative. And that's what we really mean with also being a saleswoman and, and creating your own story. If you're conscious about that others very easily create an image of you and create a story of you, you can also turn it around and just say, you know what? No, I am in control. And if you're a little bit smart about it, you can also tell a story. If you know what you want to be visible about and what you want, what you're proud of in the end, you can write a story around it and accordingly also tell it with, an, with a nice story. So the kind of the dots really all fit together <laughs> because in the end we are all humans and humans respond to images and stories. I think women are naturally really good at telling stories, but it's usually about others. Right. We're really good about talking about the daughter next door or, um, or the neighbor next door or the, the team that we work with. But then when it's about us, mm -hmm. somehow we women, we don't dare to show off, so to say, because somehow, again, it's about socialization, how we are brought up. We are not supposed to be in the spotlight right. and, and we really want to encourage people to think differently. And imagine this, this kind of USB, this like unique selling point in, on your chest, but nobody sees it unless you talk about it. We really want to encourage women to, to change their mindset. <laughs> And rather than thinking that it's bad to talk about yourself, realize it's positive and it's a strength because you encourage them and you're a role model. My son, who's 30 now, when he was four and five, I had him in a private preschool and I loved how they talked with them. Much more adult and they asked me to come in and help teach the children civility. I realized in defining my own self, I had to have 
what I call the five C's, confidence, civility, Mm -hmm. and how I describe civility to be caring, Mm -hmm. to be considerate and have courtesy, manners. So many times people don't listen to other people, but still there are lots of children who grow up in families that negate everything they are and everything that they do. I love in your book where you talk about you have to exercise that muscle. What do you mean by exercising the muscle of confidence? What, do the, what does somebody have to do? We decided to make an image around what we want to say. And, and we said, imagine this muscle, this confidence muscle, like any other muscle in your body. Because we all, if we want to have a good body, a six-pack, for example, we go to the gym and we exercise that muscle. And the same goes for your confidence. Because very many people and as a young woman growing up, we think you're born with confidence or you are not born with confidence. But we disagree. We say, no, it's something that everyone can learn regardless of the story, regardless of what you went through. And in fact, sometimes because of what you went through, very often you develop that confidence. Mm-hmm. I was watching the other day this, this, this ad and it was, they asked little girls and boys yes. and then teenage boys and girls about what it means to run like a girl. And these very young participants, they, they run like really strongly and something yeah. positive. And then these teenagers, they make fun of like, of it. Oh. It's like, oh, run like a girl. It's like something weak. It's something bad. So somehow we noticed that around this, this, this age of, of puberty, there's some mindset shift going on. And we really want to say, listen, this is so unfortunate. And we, we really want to make sure that women get this confidence back because it's in there. They just need to activate it again. I, I know so many nine-year-olds is what I've noticed. Nine, 10-year-olds, like you said, and approaching puberty, they notice that they're being noticed and that they perceive that maybe they're not being noticed in a positive way. And that can come from a million different sources. So they do need to relearn what they're doing. And that's a part of failing in their eyes. In our eyes, if we think someone else doesn't like us, we think we're failing. You say in the next chapter, embrace failure. Now that was something that was never ever told me When I was growing up, it was like, you are a bad person if you fail. I grew up with every kind of abuse imaginable. Mm -hmm. What do you tell young women and, and men that read your book too? what to do to embrace failure? What does that look like? I always imagine that in America, um, you have a little bit of a different mindset, more this entrepreneurial mindset where you're told to to fail several times until you can succeed and then are proud, proud of these failures and own them. I, I see that, unfortunately, I guess it's in most parts of the world that failure is something somehow to be ashamed of. We basically say in our book that you should, again, change your mindset and just realize that you cannot always have success. Darn, yeah. darn, darn. I'm so upset about that. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Like, how can you even appreciate your success if you have never had a failure? You know, it's just part of the stairway to success in, in the end. And it's, it's easy to talk about. We want to say it all starts in your head. And if you realize that, Failure is an intrinsic part of this whole process to the the success and end goal. You may be able to deal differently with with failure because you can tell yourself, okay, 
this is happening to me right now, but you know what? I will appreciate even more when I learn from these mistakes and have success then in the future. Yeah. And I guess also by changing the, your mindset, you will be able to pick yourself up more quickly next time you experience failure. And also failure very often in your own eyes, right? It's we're all just so critical with ourselves. Very often others wouldn't even perceive failure as failure. <laughs> it's a really hard thing. In our culture, people say, oh, lesson learned. But that's been such a throwaway for so many years that it doesn't mean anything. Lesson learned is, no, we didn't learn that lesson. We didn't learn that it's okay. And I think, oh, if we don't own our history, then it's going to own us. If I may just add here, I, I love what you were just saying about, we all say it, lesson learned, we learn from it. But indeed, I don't think we really take the time to um, process this information. And I think it's, it's a valid point to just, sit down perhaps, spend half an hour thinking about what did go wrong, really realize that something did go wrong, but then very consciously determine that now you've learned from it. Now you have thought about your lessons learned and now you consciously move on rather than just saying, yeah, lesson learned. And then really stop the ruminating that you also just mentioned. We are really good at just yes. telling ourselves things and thinking, overthinking everything. And also, again, something that women tend to do quite a lot. Sometimes it's good then to just would be good to have a, a switch in your brain to just switch off all of these <laughs> negative thoughts. <laughs> and say, oh, that's past history and it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> but I love that you talk about ruminate. That's one of my favorite things in your book because it leads to the next chapter in talking about perfectionism. And I have been known to be such a perfectionist. I know that I have OCD and a lot of people joke about it, but it's real. I remember one time I was nervous about a meeting with one of my nonprofits and my sister had flown in from Florida and I was dust busting the table and she was still eating her toast. And she was like, what are you doing? dusting up my toast <laughs> because in my mind, I like have to have everything in order for me to move forward. And it's such yes. a myth, a bad myth. Absolutely. Because it stops you from moving forward. It's actually quite the opposite. Now that you tell me the story, I have a similar one that I remember again in my, one of my first years at work, I, I was obviously, I wanted to be perfect. I want to show everyone how good I am at what I'm doing. So I would spend hours and hours in the evening working. What happened in, in parallel? Many of my other colleagues, they went out for a drink. What happened there is that they discussed the new job opportunities, politics, what was going on. So key information that might bring you much further in the long run than me sitting there until 11 p.m. working on, on, on details in the yes. end. And this is what we are saying. We encourage everyone, not just women, obviously particularly women, because they tend to be perfectionist very much. But we say, again, change your attitude and don't seek to be perfect, but rather seek to be excellent. I love that. So establish your own excellence standard, right? Right. I love in your book, you have that diagram that shows about excellence and, and perfection is just, <laughs> it's actually a really horrible thing. But so many people, that's the way a lot of women got ahead in my generation and that was my expectation. We would stay up sometimes till 2 a.m. to redo PowerPoints or mm. to put these little 
it sounds so ridiculous, but to put little dots on our products to make sure they weren't stolen. And I think to myself now, it was ridiculous. And you sacrificed your health, right? As your sleeping time, your important sleeping time. So it, the same for me and many other women. I, I guess they, they don't want, they just want to be so perfect in that moment and they forget about the broader picture. Because in the end, who cares then about if there's this dot on it or not? It's about the overall pitch or the message that you want to deliver. I guess this is something we should more often do. Just take a step back. And if you realize, hey, you are not able to really do everything that you had in mind, then reassess if it's really important to work on all of these little points that you have on your to-do list. In fact, it also leads to a lot of, I would say, negative feelings of guilt and again, failure, lack of self-esteem, because then in your mind, you're saying, oh, again, I didn't manage. I didn't finish this to-do list. And yeah. it's something very destructive, I would say. So I would actually call perfectionism destructive and very counterproductive. And I would hope that in the long run, we um, get rid of this behavior. Perhaps just to add, because you were also saying mm -hmm. in your generation, you all did that as a woman. Of course, there are reasons to it. I think it's very much linked to how we were brought up. Women always obviously having to do a bit more to get the same positive or, or good grade as a man does. We continue and particularly in, in the past had to prove ourselves even more so because there were certain biases towards what women can do. So I guess there's a reason to it. I just hope that in the long run, people realize it's just so unhealthy. I wish every woman would read this because people pleasing is the thing I did since I was a tiny little girl. Oh, if I could just be more perfect. And some people you will never, no matter what you do, <laughs> you're not going to please them. Or just because I was a woman or a girl, that whole thing was something to overcome. Well, you were talking in your next chapter about networking. What would you say some of your tips are? Networking is something I would argue many women underestimate because our schedule is so full very often. Hopefully this will change, but until now, very often still women are those that run home and get the kids from the kindergarten and take also care at home. I remember when I had a colleague and she just had a little baby. And whenever I asked her, hey, do you want to go with me to this networking event? She said, oh, no, I listen, I have to wash the clothes. I have my, my little son at home. So she was always like, no, something I, I just don't do. But you should. And um, this is why we wrote a whole chapter on this networking, just to make people realize how tremendously important it is. So it might be even more important at times to go networking rather than putting these red dots on your sheet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, because it's, you meet so many important people, you get a lot of knowledge. And we are basically saying you should approach networking like a skill. It's something you can learn. Because another thing many, both men and women really often tell me is, oh, I'm afraid, I'm an introvert, you know what, I'm just not good at it. But just like confidence, networking is also something you can learn. And you can be very strategic about it and practice. And what I always like to tell my mentees is look for an event that you feel like is, is interesting to you or important to you. It's in your industry or there is someone that you want to listen to. And just force yourself to go. When you experience this moment that you just described, you enter the room and it's full of people either of the opposite gender or of just strangers that you don't know, experience the fear, be aware of the fear, but then just go. Join that group of people and just say hello and present yourself. Very often, once you have overcome this very first hurdle, things 
role and things got so much easier. Particularly, I guess also changed the mindset in the sense that you shouldn't expect an immediate return. Networking is about building long-term relationships. It's about giving and taking and showing genuine interest in the other person. And I would argue everyone likes to speak about him or herself, about their accomplishments, what they're working on. And when you ask questions during networking, it's so easy to start a conversation. I'm by nature a very intrigued and interested person. So very often, also not good, I forget to sell it myself. <laughs> I'm like you. Yes, I understand. <laughs> and in the end, the person says, oh, no, I didn't hear anything about you. But it's a good sign because then afterwards, they often they follow up and they want to hear more about me because they enjoyed so much the conversation because I gave them the opportunity to share what they have to talk about. I also quickly want to speak about social media, which you just mentioned. I wouldn't say social media is equal to networking. Social media is a central part of networking these days. And I would say to anyone, regardless of age or industry, everyone should get familiar with it. Don't perceive networking as something fun, but more something that is actually hard work if you really use it for yourself the way you should do it if you want to be successful. We encourage everyone to familiarize themselves with the the key social media platforms that are important in your industry. We very much often refer to LinkedIn. We think LinkedIn is very, very useful tool because it, it provides so many interesting articles, so many, it's, an, it's a pool of information and people. And we just encourage everyone to be out there, to have a very sophisticated profile. So everyone knows what you stand for, coming back to the whole storytelling, branding yourself, being very clear about what you want to the, the world to know about you. But then don't be passive, but also active in the sense that you actually, you post articles, you comment, you like other people's articles so that you actually, you leave a virtual footprint and people know you're there and you get a voice. And I, perhaps I end with a story about myself because I realized at some point, kind of the first two years in my, in the workplace, how much I cared about changing the situation of women in the workspace But in the beginning, I didn't dare to say anything. And at some point, I really used LinkedIn as a platform. And I started writing articles. And people suddenly approached me. And it was fantastic because it it had this kind of snowball effect where people approached me. Then I got speaking opportunities and so on. And people invited me. And then I spoke to them. And it was beautiful to realize that there was actually an interest. And other people wanted to speak about these things only because I had the courage to be vocal about it also not just in the physical world, but also on social media, all this happened and eventually led to where we are today. Would you say you need to be on all social medias? I have found that if I use maybe three and I focus on those three, that I'm better off than trying to do every single one from Twitter to Snapchat to LinkedIn to so on, Facebook and on. There's so many that could be all that I'm doing is social media. Absolutely. And I can tell you being in China, where, you, where we have even more and different channels, I'm very often overwhelmed because I could spend my entire day basically checking <laughs> social media, posting different things on different channels. I, did, I very much agree with you, less is more. And again, though, be strategic. Don't just say, hey, I like this channel, I like that channel, mm-hmm. but really think about where's the audience 
that you want to speak to and how can you reach them best and which is the best uh, channel. And I think it's about being very strategic and, and thinking before acting. Exactly. And going back to what you said about networking, it's not the same as social media. I know for sure when I was in my two nonprofits, I, I did one where I produced theater to create funds and awareness for already existing child abuse organizations. But if I didn't go and become involved with their organization, maybe an event that they did, or even if it was a chamber of commerce thing, if it was local, I took my son to as many networking things as I could because I was a single mom since he was a baby. He learned even how powerful relationships are and that it's important to be gregarious. He learned that just by example. I think by your example of being out there and writing these articles and all of your speaking engagements. I don't even know how you do it all, Sarah. It's fantastic that you took your son, son along, right? Because you were a role model to him and you showed him at a very young age <clears throat> how to create contact with human connections. And this is something that we shouldn't forget. Social media, I, I, I love it. It's a fantastic tool. But we should also realize that it cannot replace human connections that you make and that you also make in person. And also what we are saying very often with social media is, yeah, start networking on, on social media. It's a great way to reach out to someone, but then follow up also in the physical world. But I truly believe these are two things that should go hand in hand and exist in parallel rather than one replacing the other. Yeah, because then you don't do the follow through. If you don't do both of them together, that's the way you can follow up. If you don't follow up, I always feel like, what a waste of time. Why even start if you're not going to follow through? Because then it's not really a relationship where you connect and you listen and you ask questions and you gather information about them so that what other questions to ask. And the more you know about them, the more you can know how to network them and how they can fit into your, your world. People just give out their business card, that's it. Then they leave the event and great, you have a new connection that you can add to you to your LinkedIn. No, it doesn't go like this. You can also plan ahead. You can contact people beforehand if they will be at an event. But then it's, it's very important to follow up immediately. We always say one or two days after a maximum and just say, hey, it was really nice meeting you. And then perhaps also just check in again after the, after a few weeks or months and you you never know how where where this can lead but i agree with you it's not sustainable if you just go somewhere exchange business cards and leave in the end then you could use that time very differently right exactly what differences have you noticed that would be beneficial for people that travel the way that you do in so many different countries when you talk about networking what do you notice that's very different that other people should be aware of. So I've lived in many countries, currently in China, before I was in Belgium, in the heart of Europe, so to say. I guess to start with, for example, how you approach a person. Now, as a German, having lived in the Netherlands, I'm extremely direct. I just go to a person, give them, shake my hand and say, hello, this is me. I'm interested in knowing ABC. This very often doesn't work. Not at all. And I, I sometimes can come across as very rude, actually, as a bit too much. And I think, thank you for bringing this up. It's very important to also 
anticipate a little bit. Obviously, when you see a person, you don't exactly know their story, where they're from, etc. But still, if you go somewhere, you um, a certain type of event, you do have an idea what type of people are there, what industry they work in, what professions they might have. And therefore, you can possibly also relate what type of character personality they, they might display. It's always important to keep that in mind. In, in Brussels, for example, I had colleagues from so many different nationalities. And when I met um, new people, I always looked at their name before and checked out where they worked. And very often I could say, okay, they're Italian, they are Dutch. You could tell <laughs> which country they're from. In France, for example, you give kisses when you meet someone. In Germany, you shake the hand. Now here in China, for example, you would rather hand out your business card and you bend over a little bit. These are kind of small details you should always keep in mind, but they can set the tone for the whole meeting. And unfortunately, if you, if you set off with the wrong tone, so to say, the whole meeting can go very badly. And I think sometimes, as you mentioned earlier, in all the adversities that we have, that does give us a plethora of experiences and knowing that because of that, you do have more of depth of character and empathy, and you're more observant in what's going on. It's it's a toolbox, right? It's like you have all these experiences, and I guess you don't always have to use the same tool that is in your box. And just always remember, hey, you have these different tools that you can use um, building on your experiences and, and then apply the right tool at the right time. True. Something in your book that I love is when you start talking about self-love and self-care. I have a sister that I sent her a box of these beautiful, all-natural bath fizzes, you know, <laughs> and I'll call her and I'll say, have you taken a bath lately? And she feels guilty to do that. And to me, it's like heaven. If I cannot have a bath, uh -huh. I'm just not as nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's being, being self-aware. You are realizing, hey, this is what I need. And I think this is not about being selfish. This is actually just being true and honest to yourself. And you cannot be your best self. You cannot take care of other people if you don't take care of yourself first. And I remember when I flew here to China in the plane and they start, they always say, hey, when it comes to this air mask, always put on the air mask first on your own face before you put it on the, the children or the people around you. And I think the same should go for women and how they care for themselves. It all comes back to how we're brought up. We women are always taught to, to care for others and not put ourselves first. But it doesn't make sense in my eyes. You need to put yourself first because then you can take care of the others even better. And I find it very unfortunate having lived in so many different countries of this world that some, somehow wherever I go, I do um, observe the societal pressure. In some places it might be stronger than in others, but everywhere somehow women grow up thinking that they, they always need to feel bad if they don't put themselves first. I would really hope that over time this, this, this changes. Now, obviously you need time to take care for, of yourself. And I think that's one of the, the biggest enemies of women, the lack of time. And for the book, we also looked at different studies. And one said that a woman on average has 10 minutes of, of uninterrupted time to themselves per day. 10 minutes? That, that is crazy. <laughs> Many things have to change to make sure that women have more time, but it's so the framework that women operate in, but it has to start with women claiming that time and claiming that time for themselves. And saying it, I had to learn that. Oftentimes I would have a lunch before I would be the speaker. 
And I wanted to have just a few minutes so that I can come out there and I can be in the present and not thinking about the future, what's going to happen or what's happened in the past that's made me a failure and all the things that can trip you up to not present as well as you could while you're living in the present. What self-care and self-love is differs from person to person, right? For some, as you say, meditation or um, mindfulness might work a lot or having a gratitude journal. So these are, these are things we talk about, but it doesn't work for everyone. And frankly, I, I wouldn't want to force it on anyone. Everyone needs to find his or her own self-love habit, so to say. Generally, I would say it's about having good sleep, exercising regularly, going on holiday, spoiling yourself once in a while. That These are kind of basics. But then how you do that in practice, I guess, just differs. And I just encourage everyone to think about how they regain energy, what re-energizes them. And for some, that could also mean just going to a nice party, dancing. And for others, it might be sitting at home and reading a book. It's about being honest to yourself, what you need. <laughs> I know... In your chapter about bosses and dealing with different personalities and the who, what, where, when, why, what would you say are like the major things that we need to notice? I've had some bosses that were completely bullies and women that you think, oh, it's women, we're all on the same side trying to evolve into our world. For me, personally, I encountered a lot of women that looked at every other woman as competition. Yeah, I love the, the transition you're making here because in the end, self-love is also something you should demonstrate in the workplace. And self-love also then means that you set your boundaries and that you just never, you never accept unacceptable behavior. And unfortunately, very often we still experience that, particularly among women, we, we like to refer to it as this queen bee syndrome, that because women had a, had a difficult path to, to getting where they are, they sometimes don't want to hold out, out their hand and help other women. And they're like, no, I had it so hard, so she should also um, jump over these stones. And I do hope that as more women get in, in higher management positions, that this will change. But generally, I would say bosses are very different. The problem is that many human beings are very talented at, at what they're doing, but they might not be good at managing people. And it's about showing empathy and realizing perhaps some people don't want to be bosses. They just ended up in that position because they had been there for the longest or they're just overwhelmed. And for yourself to be able to deal with um, difficult bosses, Kate and I came up with this, let's say, pattern of bosses that we think you are very likely to, to come across because They are just certain types of people. And I don't want to list now every single boss, but perhaps just to give you, for example, the jealous boss, to come back to what you're talking about, these women. You might have a boss that supports you in the beginning and, and is really encouraging. And at some point, that boss might turn into someone that likes to put stones into your way, doesn't provide you with opportunities to, for growth anymore. And that might be because that person also just being a human being, might have realized how good you actually are, how much potential you are. And every human being wants a good reputation, wants to um, exit what they were doing. And then they see there is young competition coming in. I would argue this happens very often. And rather than supporting you and surrounding themselves with strong and good people, they'll try to, to push you down. 
it's important to realize that they also have insecurities and identify these insecurities, finding their source and, and rather than pointing them out, giving them extra credit. You cannot change the behavior of the other person, right? Be it an, any colleague or be it your boss or actually also a bully. It's about you having control of your own reaction to it. It's very normal that in such a situation you would be like, why is this person behaving like this? Why is this person doing this to me? You will lose if you think that way. It's about, yeah, changing, trying to influence perhaps the behavior of the other person by realizing what their trigger points are, but in the end, just being in control by knowing your own reactions. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. In your very last chapter, you talk about fulfilling your own dreams. Don't spend 10 years doing something that you shouldn't have been doing. For instance, I discovered that I really loved the nonprofits, that that was my mission in life. That was my passion in life or in doing something so that children don't have to go through the same things that I went through and teaching kids from a very young age how to be appreciative of each other and how to engage with each other in loving ways. What's your biggest tip for chapter seven that you want to share with everyone to help them to live their dreams? How do you live your dreams? Because I had a great salary when I was a trainer and I traveled all over and it was very hard being a single mom to say, oh, I'm just going to quit now and live my dream. Perhaps building on that example, you have a good salary, um, but you actually have another dream you realized and um, taking that leap, what, what holds you back from that? And I was speaking to a few um, female entrepreneurs the other day, and they were arguing, they were always told they're not risk takers. Women, there are very few female entrepreneurs because women don't take risk. I disagree to the extent that women just take more calculated risk. Again, because we might have different responsibilities. You were just referring to your own child, right? You have to take care of your child. There's so many things that you have to consider. But you actually, you did take that leap in the end. It was then part of a bigger strategy. And that's what I think, what, that's perhaps one of my tips then also. Is it's fine if you continue doing what you're doing at the moment, even if it's not your big dream, if it is in the long run part of a bigger strategy. And Kate and I really always want to encourage everyone to not wait for someone else, like your employer, your parents, or anyone else to take charge of your career and wait for them to come up and, and tell you, hey, there's this opportunity, that opportunity. No, be in charge yourself. Don't sit and wait. Be, be, be in the driver's seat in the end, right? If you sit down and think about your own dreams and have the bigger vision, you will be able to come up with a plan and steps that you can pursue in the long run. And I guess that is a bit the danger that very often we're just doing something because an opportunity arises, you just do it. It's easy. It's comfortable. As, as soon as you're comfortable in what you're doing, we always argue, hey, no, then it's time to, to take on a new challenge. But perhaps to Cut it short and in a nutshell, my, my biggest tip would really be sit down, think about your own vision. Don't become a doctor because your parents want you to become a doctor. Think about what you really care about, what your values are, what your purpose in life is. And this may take a long time, but at least try to think about it and find an answer to these questions. Once you have figured this out, you can make a plan as to how you can reach your dream. And think big, really think big. Don't stop by saying, this is impossible. I'm just a small girl from the small village. 
everything is possible if you just demonstrate perseverance. And I guess this is perhaps my second tip. Your life is a marathon, right? You need perseverance continuously and just demonstrate that, that willingness to work hard and uh, pursue your dreams in the long run. I'm so thankful for our conversation. Thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate you, Sarah. Rona, thanks so much for this, this opportunity. And I think it's amazing what, what you have built up over the years and what you are doing to help others. And perhaps I would really love to end with this because you always talk about these five C values, right? Civility, confidence, courage, communication, and creativity. And I think this really very nice sums <laughs> it up. No, really, I'm, I really mean it. This is what you should demonstrate and pursue. It's have the confidence, have the courage, to be your authentic self, but have the civility and also the like, be courteous, be kind to people, but communicate also your dreams. Because if you communicate it, people will help you. Don't think the worst of this world. People are there to get you where you want to be. And then also be creative. Don't take the road that others went. Um, find your own way of getting where you want to go. Thank you so much. Thank you. So perhaps we should add your five, uh, five C values to all. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thanks, Sarah. Sarah Wagner is an absolute delight. Here's a young, highly acclaimed woman living in Beijing, working to develop relations between her home country of Germany and China. My three takeaways are number one, perfectionism stops you from moving forward. This is important to me because I have this bad habit. For instance, you stay at the office to work on your presentation details for the umpteenth time while your coworkers go out and network about new positions opening up, key information on the company, and company culture discussions that could lead to your success. Change perfection to excellence and go to that coworker meeting. Number two, realize how important networking is. It is so important that it's a whole entire chapter in Sarah's Unleashed Today book. It's a learned skill. It's about long-term relationships and it's about following up. Number three, be strategic and think before acting on social media. Find your audience. That is key. Remember, you may find out more about Sarah in our show notes at bullybuster.us slash Sarah. That's S-A-R-A-H. That's also where you can find a link to order her new book. My takeaways today from Sarah are enormous. So I could simply say to you, get her co-authored book, Unleashed Today, with seven steps dealing with everything from first impressions to networking to self-care and dealing with your enemies, perfectionism, of course, confidence, and your career progression. You can't put the book down. Thank you for listening. I'm Rhonda Orr, your host for Bully Buster, which you may find at bullybuster.us. And please look for our new show, 10 Minutes to Civility, coming to you on June 14th. 
Go to Rhonda's website, bullybuster.us, to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. That's also where you'll find information about having Rhonda speak at your event or school. It's all at bullybuster.us.